informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and for letting us be part of your day. Lots going on. Congress back in session and ag groups are in Washington, D.C., many of them there to wish for passage of USMCA. We'll be talking a lot about that this week as the uh, the push is on, the, trying to get momentum, trying to get votes and uh, get this deal across the finish line. Still a lot of speculations that may that's when it comes to biofuel. The CEO of the Biofuel Board about that on our program today we're going to talk markets with rich morrison with diversified services looking ahead to this week's big september crop report and it's uh it's farm show week for sure you have husker harvest days going on in grand island nebraska and also the big iron farm show in fargo north dakota and we'll get a report from the big iron show with rusty halverson with the american ag network a little bit later on in today's program as well but right now, we're going to start it off with Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. And agriculture has got a full-court press on in Washington, D.C. this week to get USMCA passed. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, we all, we've kind of been hearing along the way that this, uh, this, this uh, trade deal has a lot of support both sides of the aisle. Uh, I think now we're just at a point where, uh, it's a matter of procedure, you know, getting all the ducks in a row and, and figuring out how the vote might go and, you know, the timing of everything. I um, I think what we've seen is that, you know, both sides of the aisle understand how important this, this deal is going to be, and it's really uh, really not all that controversial. You know, all the parties involved, Canada, Mexico, United States, have all pretty much agreed to everything that, that this entails. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how soon we can uh, get this done. Meanwhile, we're we're getting some details finally on the disaster aid package and how that's going to work. Right, absolutely, and I think uh, you know as as this you know as this thing goes forward, uh, you know I I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna realize in the long run how much uh, how much was actually out there. You know, I know we talked about this back in the spring with all the flooding here in Nebraska uh, that you know it'd be some time before we really understood the extent of the damage, and I think now. Uh, when you look at that disaster and you look at others that have occurred across uh, across this year, uh, when you add it all up, I think it's going to be quite staggering. You know, we're we're still waiting to see how the final crops turn out and then how, you know, the weather and all the factors we look at, um, how all those things uh, are going to add up in the end when it comes to the crop. And I think, uh, you know, we often forget about all the, all the storms and the damage that's occurred, uh, you know, over the growing season. And so, um, it's really good to see that, you know, that some of this stuff is moving along. And I think, uh, you know, here we are into September, and we're probably going to know a heck of a lot more uh, come October, November, how this all pans out. Yeah, and we hope to have more details on this uh, on tomorrow's programs. That information is starting to come out now, and uh, we'll get the, uh, try to get a good report and summary of that for you in details on tomorrow's program. Meanwhile, Todd, this uh, biofuels uh, story is interesting. I know you... Uh, and I have been what caught our attention a story this morning. Country Mark, that's a refiner owned by farmers, has actually uh, they're they're kind of caught in the middle on this uh, uh, exemption issue, right? On the RFS, I mean, uh, they uh, benefit really both ways on this. Absolutely, you know, my, uh, Mike. There's a lot of a lot of farmers that that uh, own the cooperatives that actually own this refinery, and it operates in. Uh, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky, 
uh, we've got more than a, they've got more than a hundred retail stations uh, that serve farmers in these areas. Uh, but in interviews we did with the company officials, uh, companies received the small refinery exemptions uh, both in 2017 and 2018. Uh, and if you look at the costs that they've had uh, in, in complying with the RFS, this is a company uh, that's highly invested in, in blending biofuels, biodiesel and ethanol. Uh, in addition to buying the renewable uh, the renewable credits throughout the year, uh, so it's it's been doing its part for a number of years. You know, never really slacking. In fact, uh, they're always looking to expand their biofuels offerings. They're moving more into E15 and some of these other things. Uh, yet when they when they've been looking at the books starting in about 2015, uh, their costs to comply with the RFS had gone up, um, and so they have received waivers. Although they're talking now. Uh, company officials told us that they're at a point where the credits, uh, the credits prices have come down enough uh, that they may not have to get a waiver for for the upcoming uh, upcoming year. But it's it's a really interesting situation. You know, we often think about uh, these refineries as having little to do with agriculture. In fact, nothing to do with agriculture. Uh, but this is one company in particular that uh, they kind of sit on both sides of the fence of the issue. Uh, but to be fair on this, uh, the the ethanol industry, the biofuels industry overall, it's not said there should not be any waivers granted. It's just that you should be able to Absolutely. show a true hardship, right? Absolutely, and, and I think that's what's at, at the heart of the issue right now. Uh, the industry wants a lot of these gallons that have been waived to be reallocated. Um, from the very beginning, they've said that, you know, we, we agree there are refiners who, uh, who have troubles with compliance. Um, but I think, uh, you know, when what we're hearing in, in the Trump proposal that may be coming out at some point, at this point, there's no reallocation of, of those waived gallons. So that's kind of, you're right, that's kind of the crux of the matter. There are refiners that need these exemptions, but, uh, you know, the industry just wants, uh, just wants a fair play on this. Are you hearing anything when the administration, when the president may make the announcement on that? Uh, not at this point. All that we've heard is that uh, when the, the details of the proposal leaked last week, the end of last week, a lot of folks in the industry were not happy, uh, especially with the, the lack of reallocation. Uh, and so it, it, it seems as if uh, the president and his team has kind of they've kind of gone back to the drawing board a bit on this. We don't uh, we haven't really heard. We were expecting some sort of announcement at the beginning of the week, and you know even a possible trip by the president to Iowa to make the announcement. But nothing is really really come out since those details at least yeah which leads you to believe they're still working on something right uh, they they ran the flag up the flagpole yes. and uh, it was not well received and they've pulled it back down and now they're trying to work on it again uh, absolutely i think that's exactly where this is headed so that'll be interesting to see. We kind of wait for that big announcement. And meanwhile, of course, again, as we said, uh, the push on. There's a big event scheduled Thursday in Washington, D.C. for USMCA. And I believe uh, Colin Peterson, Mike Conaway, and other uh, ag leaders from Congress right. will be there. So it shows it's getting some big attention. Absolutely. You know, and I think uh, I think the very fact that we're seeing so much attention given to this, I think it probably bodes well for biofuels because they've been uh, – They've been crying foul on a lot of these things for, for a while, and it seems like Trump is actually hearing. Yep, agriculture uh, has made its way. Unfortunately, to get to the top of the list, you have to have a lot of problems, <laughs> and, and agriculture, unfortunately, has a lot of them right now, so we'll see uh, how they're going to be addressed. Well, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike.
Take care. Todd Neely with DTN. We'll talk more about this uh, biofuel situation and uh, what the National Biodiesel Board is hoping to see in this announcement whenever it comes from the White House. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries your generosity can give someone more life don't wait until the letters abo are missing from hospital shelves you are the missing type patients need visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today recently on Adams on Agriculture. Always enjoy talking with former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, who joins us now. Well, let's talk about some trade issues. We have a uh, deal with Japan, although we don't have the details. It's not formalized. What's in it for dairy that uh, you're happy about and excited about? Well, Mike, I think we have to be a little bit cautious about this because, as they say in the trade world, unless everything's agreed to, nothing is agreed to. I think there are still some very significant uh, work that has to be done between the Japanese and the United States. But I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that by the end of this month, President Trump and Prime Minister Abbey can uh, make an announcement that hopefully will level the playing field for U.S. dairy in Japan. It's our, always one of our top five markets. I just got back from a visit in Japan. There is tremendous opportunity on both the cheese and ingredient side in that country. But we are currently at a disadvantage to our EU and New Zealand competitors because they have free trade agreements. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranch need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Lots going on in the biofuels industry. A lot to uh, sort through here. So the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Don Rehagen. Donnell, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Good morning. Okay, let's uh, let's get first of all to the package that's supposedly coming from the White House. Uh, some details kind of leaked out, and the biofuels industry was uh, made it very clear they weren't happy with what uh, supposedly the administration was looking at. What were your concerns with uh, what uh, you saw and heard might be coming? Yeah, well, you know, the one uh, our number one priority through this whole process of, uh, of uh, the government granting these small refinery exemptions has been to get those gallons reallocated into the annual RVO. That's the one thing that was missing from this package that uh, we learned a little bit about last week. And so that's been the issue. Without reallocating the gallons, the government uh, waves from these small refiners, uh, whatever numbers they put into the RFS are basically meaningless. So the the main thing you wanted was the one thing not in that proposal. Uh, I guess that's when when your pushback got to, to the White House, uh, they kind of w- retreated on that, and supposedly now they're working on something else. Well, we, we've heard something similar to that. You know, we'll let that process work itself out. We were we were pleased that we were asked, you know, about what our views were on this package, and so, uh, but that was what we shared. Well, that uh, short of some methodology of putting those volumes back in on an annual basis, those waved gallons back in. Uh, the whole RFS does not do what it intended to do in the first place, which is to grow uh, production and volumes for the renewable fuels industry. Are you receiving any indication when the announcement might come? Well, you know, I think there was hope that the announcement could have been made as early as last week. Uh, so I know that there's a uh, urgency on the part of the White House to try to get this settled and resolved to get behind them. We, we w- appreciate that urgency. We've been dealing with these small refinery exemptions for three years now and have been asking for this kind of relief for three years. So uh, we are certainly ready uh, to see that relief granted. Meanwhile, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals recently ruled that the EPA must take a close look at the effects on endangered species of its 2018 rules setting renewable fuel targets. Uh, That is being hailed as a victory for environmental groups. What's your reaction to this? Well, you know, the the RFS did require that sort of review of the EPA. That's a review that has not occurred uh, in the past, and so, uh, you know, we welcome that. The, The production practices that our producers go through all the way back to the farm are not going to be impactful, negatively impactful uh, to the wildlife and the environment. We are an environmentally friendly fuel, so uh, we have no concerns about that and, and welcome that kind of a review. Your position, the National Biodiesel Board's position, was that EPA improperly took cost considerations into account when reducing the target for uh, biodiesel uh, overall, is that right? Well, yes, and so th- this this gets into some of the reasoning and rationale the EPA has used in the past for why they refuse to increase our volumes on an annual basis. Uh, at one point in time, most recently, the EPA has suggested that uh, the costs of compliance have gotten to be too expensive for the obligated parties. So in other words, uh, they, they have a desire to keep REN prices low. Uh, you know, RINs were designed to be market-driven, not 
driven by an artificial cap uh, or, or outside influence. And so that's why we took issue with that when the EPA suggested that that's the logical reason for them to consider holding renewable fuel volumes lower. So where does this leave uh, uh, your industry in its efforts to try to get uh, your RVO levels increased in the future? Well, the bottom line is the biggest impactor we have right now are these small refinery exemptions. It's been billions of gallons lost to these small refinery exemptions, and so that is why it's our number one priority. We have to change the methodology the EPA uses when they grant those small refinery exemptions. The National Biodiesel Board does not take exception with the EPA granting small refinery exemptions. We recognize they have the ability to do that. We are simply asking that they reinstate those gallons uh, in the final RVO. They know that they will be granting small refinery exemptions. They have done this for the last three years, um, and, but every year the annual process does not include uh, a recognition that they plan to grant more of those. So the, the process is definitely slanted, and we just want that fairness and the equity of if you're going to grant them to the refiners, then please return those volumes to the final RFS. Yeah, they basically just pretty much leave your required levels uh, uh, the same year after year. That stays flat pretty much, right? Well, that's what they've been doing the last uh, couple of years. I mean, this, this year's proposed rule would have held volumes flat. Uh, and then two months after they proposed that rule, they granted 31 of these waivers. So they, in essence, not only held the volume flat, but then through those waivers, reduced the volume that they held flat. So you can see where this is tracking backwards uh, to lower volumes, not forward to higher volumes. We're talking with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Don L. Rehagen. Let's talk about your other big issue with Congress back in session. I know you'll also be continuing your work, uh, as you have through all along, uh, to uh, get the biodiesel tax credit in a tax extenders package. Are you still looking for that vehicle to attach that to? Absolutely. Uh, you know, September is going to be a busy month for Congress. Uh, the government needs to be funded after this uh, September 30th, and so we know there's going to be some uh, funding bills of sorts that uh, would make some would make a vehicle for uh, tax extenders package. Uh, we uh, we expect there will be a number of those. We also expect there will likely be some continuing resolutions to just keep the government open while they continue to negotiate funding levels. And so the timing is a little uncertain. Uh, we remain confident that uh, the tax credit, the biodiesel tax credit, um, is an important part of uh, whatever mechanisms that they are moving forward to not only fund the government, but to look at these industries that uh, they have uh, supported through these tax credits in the past. Not only reestablish it, but is there? I know there have been um, proposals for kind of setting a you know, kind of a sunset mechanism, whether it's seven years or whatever, for it to be phased out. Has that language been decided yet? Well, that has not been deeply uh, talked about the, under the current scenario. Again, our industry is going on two years now without the tax credit, even though uh, our downstream partners and others in the industry have expected it to be there. So it's been extremely challenging. Uh, many of our members uh, have have serious cash flow issues as they've tried to make that uh, program work within the absence of that tax credit. We've also seen over the last couple of months some plant closures. 
uh, attributed to the tax credit as well as these SREs. And so our industry's kind of taken punches from all over the place. We just need to settle uh, the federal policy down and to provide some uh, consistency and the consistent support uh, and an outlook for biodiesel. I know you're rallying uh, your industry to speak out on this. Uh, a number of your state organizations have certainly been uh, very vocal about this, uh, trying to get the message through to Congress. Well, that's been an important part of our messaging. The soybean industry depends a, a great deal on the biodiesel industry. We are now up to about 8 billion pounds of soybean oil annually goes into biodiesel production. So just think where soybean farmers and soybean prices would be without that ability to provide that high value uh, in the form of biodiesel for that soybean oil. And so um, we've certainly reached out and, and we've uh, collaborated with them on some ideas and messaging to take that uh, to take their support to uh, to members of Congress and all the way up to the White House regarding the, the their uh, need for the biodiesel industry to grow to allow them to continue doing what they do. Yeah, because when you look at it from a soybean standpoint, uh, we've lost the biggest market for exports in China, and then uh, what's going on now with the biofuels uh, situation? It's uh, taking away a domestic market. It's. Uh, it's a very tough time to be a farmer in the United States right now. Commodity prices are low. The weather's not been very cooperative. Uh, trade, mark, trade, uh, trade has been cut back. Uh, opportunities have been cut back. And now uh, these attacks on the domestic biofuels industry. It just seems like it's, a, it's way too much to be asking one industry to tolerate, and that's why we're pushing back and suggesting the White House, the President, has the ability specifically on this RFS specifically on these SREs to make a decision that can be very beneficial to not only the biofuel producers, but also the farmers who, uh, who support them. Donnell, thanks for your time, and we'll talk again after we find out uh, what the president's package w- includes, all right? All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Uh, crop ratings out yesterday, crop condition uh, numbers, and a uh, look ahead to this week's big crop report. Lots to talk about with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 
Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. I'm broadcasting this week from the Big Iron Farm Show that's underway at the West Fargo Fairgrounds. Kirsten Rall will have our market numbers coming up in just a bit. A three percentage point drop in the U.S. corn crop conditions in the good excellent category, fueling an overnight rally in corn futures. That change in crop conditions spurring some questions from traders about whether or not USDA's crop yield forecast will be confirmed in this week's WASDE report. That report comes out on Thursday. Private exporters reported to USDA sales of 278,200 metric tons of corn for delivery to Mexico during the 2019-2020 marketing year. December corn edged modestly lower on Monday. With our Tuesday numbers, here is Kirsten Rall. On the Board of Trade, December corn is trading three and a fraction of a cent higher at 357 and three quarters of a cent. November soybeans are trading a fraction of a cent higher at 858. December Minneapolis spring wheat trading three and a half cent higher at five dollars and a fraction of a cent. Kansas City wheat December up two cents at four dollars per bushel. December Chicago wheat up two and three quarters of a cent at four seventy-seven and a quarter of a cent. For livestock at the mark in live cattle futures, October contract up twenty cents at ninety-four forty. September feeder cattle trading fifty-seven cents lower at one thirty-two twenty-five. October feeder cattle trading forty cents lower at one twenty-nine forty-two. October lean hogs trading two dollars and ten cents lower at sixty fifty-two. In the outside markets, the Dow is down seventy-one points. The Nasdaq Composite down seventy-six. The S&P down fifteen. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Rich Morrison, Manager of Marketing Services for Diversified. Sir, good to, good to have you with us. We have some crop condition numbers out yesterday. Saw a little decline in the uh, corn condition. Uh, what do you think? Well, it was a little bit unexpected, I guess, uh, to see a drop. Uh, now, that typically happens this time of year when the crop is maturing and we start to see, uh, you know, the crop dying in the field. So you have to take a little bit of this with a grain of salt. But uh, certainly the trade wasn't expecting a three-point drop. And we saw a couple of states with some significant drops. I think that went down eight points in the good point rating. So 
Uh, has everybody kind of scratching their head a little bit? So it's interesting, uh, as we wait for the crop report numbers this week, uh, depending on how they come out, and along with the, what we saw that drop in the, in the condition number, uh, could that be setting us up for a little rally here maybe? Well, I think that, coupled with the fact that the market's been uh, really tremendously oversold, I think some of the technical indicators showed that we've been uh, kind of overcooked here for the short term. Uh, you throw that in with the fact that the managed funds are all short the corn market, so it kind of set us up at least for, for a possibility of a rally coming out of this report on Thursday. Although, <laughs> hard to get your hopes up too much if we see what those numbers are uh, Thursday from USDA. Well, I, I said possibility. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's an uh, extremely wide range of guesses going into this report as to what USDA will do just on the yield side of things and production. So uh, it's, it's all over the board, and uh, so it's certainly uh, going to be an interesting day when the report numbers come out. Well, do we feel a little more confident in, in, in this report? The, the last one was really discounted before it ever came out, and then and people still had a – you know, such a negative reaction to it. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this one? Does does this give us a little better, clearer picture? Well, I, I think better is a good, is a word. But uh, you know, after the last two, uh, the July report, uh, you know, used the June acreage numbers, which nobody had much faith in, and then the August report, uh, we really didn't have any faith that uh, that the acreage numbers were necessarily right, and, and or the, the yield numbers were right either. kind of just the feels been the markets the trade just feels like there's going to be a pretty good crop out there not maybe not a bumper crop but a, a pretty good crop and, and it, it takes something to to make them believe that that's not the case that's a good way to put it you know i think right now usda forecasting the fourth largest corn crop that we've ever had and uh, that's hard, kind of hard to believe given the year that we've had but uh uh, but the crops that were planted early, I think, are going to be decent. Uh, and then we've got some late planted stuff that's, uh, who knows if it's even going to be harvested this year. So, it, like we said, it's going to take a while before we really get a, a firm grip on this crop. And I guess that's why we've got such a wide range of, of estimates. Uh, just looking at the numbers, it's about a billion bushel range from the high trade estimate to the low trade estimate on the corn production number. That's unheard of as we... Uh, are half, almost halfway through the month of September. Do you recall another year where we had such wild differences in speculation that we didn't really seem to have a handle on, on what's out there like this? No, not at this point in the year. You know, usually when we've had some of these wet years that I can recall, uh, you know, we had at least a, a big enough portion of the crop planted early that, that we had at least some crop that we knew what it was going to make this year. You know, it, it, so much of it was planted uh, later and in different conditions that, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all over the board, I think. And I, I really don't have a good guess this year. We're talking with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. So what will you focus on most uh, in this report Thursday? You know, uh, I'm not really going to focus as much on production as I am on demand. I, I think that the demand is the, the part that's, 
we're struggling with right now. It's good to see some sales this week. Mexico's been in the market for corn, for soybeans, and meal. Uh, we need more of that. We need much more of that because our, our exports for the last uh, seven, eight months have been struggling on corn. Of course, it's very well documented that we struggled on soybeans with China. Uh, so we really need this demand side to pick up. The ethanol part of the corn equation has been struggling. So that, to me, is the part I'm going to look at. Uh, a month ago, we were uh, USDA was forecasting still over 14 billion bushels of corn demand. If they cut that down to 13.9, 13.8, 13.7, you know, now you're looking at demand possibly down as low as the production was this year. And so that, to me, is the biggest part of the equation that we can maybe start to get a little bit better hold on today than we can on the uh, on the production side. You know, that's a good point, focus on demand, because the headlines are all going to be about the, the production number, the yield number. Oh, absolutely. Those are the fun ones. Everybody looks to, you know, try to guess the crop size, and, you know, it's uh, that's kind of the game of trying to guess how many jelly beans are in the jar type thing. So everybody's going to be focusing on that. But the demand is really where the story is going to be for the rest of the year. If we can support a 14 billion bushel corn demand, uh, then I think you can support prices down the road, uh, you know, after harvest, eventually coming back up. If we're looking at team six or something like that on corn demand, it's going to be difficult to get that post-harvest rally to really get up and go. On the production side, uh, it depends on where you're at, obviously. And further north, it's going to be more of an issue. And I know there's some really uh, uh, some very cool temperatures up in North Dakota and some of the northern states. But uh, in states like Illinois and right in the heart of the Midwest, the fro- early frost fears seem to have been uh, kind of pushed back a bit. Yeah, I think so. When we uh, flipped the calendar at the end of August, I think the September outlook at that time did show some areas in the upper Midwest that were expecting to have below normal temperatures for the month of September. And even though we have had some cold streaks uh, through here at the beginning of the month, uh, the forecast for the next two-plus weeks is for above to much above normal temperatures. So that should alleviate any fears, at least until we flip the calendar into October, that we'll see any kind of a weather scare, at least from here on. And talking about weather, we're also watching weather for planting in South America. Absolutely. So we're usually the 15th of September, so we're just a few days away, really, from kind of cranking things up down there. Uh, We'll be curious to see how many new acres get planted. Uh, You know, the last estimates we'd heard were maybe a slight uptick in acres this year, Uh, maybe the lowest increase in a while, but still an increase nonetheless. So. It'll, it'll be a big deal to see how, how many acres they do plant and what crops they decide to plant to. If they're going to go heavy beans or, or will we see more corn planted? I, I think indications are maybe, at least in Brazil, uh, seen a, a, a bit of an increase in both this year. So we'll see what, see what happens. Yeah, that's a big story uh, about uh, putting more acres into production there. Uh, when you get back to that demand issue that you were talking about, we got this huge situation with African swine fever. That is certainly uh, lessening demand, even if we were selling more into China. Uh, obviously, with loss of uh, hogs there, uh, that, that decreases demand. Uh, it certainly does. And I've heard people estimating, I heard a story the other day, somebody talking maybe five years before they get their uh, demand built back up again. So the, the good news, I think, for, for American agriculture will be in the hog markets. Uh, I, I would think that it should continue to uh, improve hog demand down the road, uh, pork demand going into China. But short term, it's going to be difficult to see uh, the soybean uh, demand pick back up. So uh, we needed a, 
drop in production in U.S. soybeans this year. This wasn't how we expected to get it, but uh, uh, but that that drop in production will at least offset some of the lost demand that we normally would see out of China. Yeah, if I've said this often, if you if we back to the beginning of the year, if we just said we were going to have this much of a drop in production, we we would have sure painted a more bullish picture than we're seeing though right now on prices. That's very true. If we'd have been uh, shipping, you know, 4.2 billion bushels of beans or using 4.2 billion and only raised three and a half, we would have tightened things up in a big hurry here. So, yeah, you'd probably be looking at beans in the, you know, $12, $13 range under that circumstance. But again, it's not necessarily because of the tariffs, but because of the reduced demand due to the swine fever in China. Mm-hmm. So, barring a big weather event like a frost and barring a uh announcement of a huge trade deal, say, with China. Uh, this crop report this Thursday, whether we agree with numbers in it or not, it, it really is what the markets will trade off of for a while, right? Yeah, it, it's uh, that's it. Until we get to September 30th, at the end of the month, we will get a September 1 grain stocks report. That won't shouldn't give us many big surprises, but still tweak the, uh, the year-end uh, stock numbers. So basically taking numbers and, and tweaking them for some extra shipments or maybe some lack of shipments right at the end of the marketing year and then uh, you know then we've got to wait another couple of weeks until the october crop report so uh yeah from this point on it, it'll be monitoring harvest results i guess as we get started uh, as harvest moves up from the south and uh, you know kind of seeing whether uh, people are agreeing or disagreeing with what usda is starting out with here in this report Starting to finally get to crunch time on this, right? I mean, soon, as you said, we'll, we'll have actual numbers to look at. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, it sure increases anticipation of this crop report. Oh, it absolutely does. Um, you know, so we're, we're at least want to get another one behind us, I guess, get the numbers out there so we can at least have a starting point. Uh, we are hearing a few combines running in some areas uh, north of the Ohio River. So it's... Uh, it's going to get here. It's going to be a little longer uh, harvest, it looks like, but it's it's going to get started pretty soon. All right, Rich, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk again after we see uh, what's in the report this week. Thank you. Sounds great. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Well, Husker Harvest Days is underway in Grand Island, Nebraska, but this is also opening day for the Big Iron Farm Show in West Fargo, and we'll talk with Rusty Halverson about that big show. That's next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell Brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council 
No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Joining us now is the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Could you give us an update? Uh, what is the, the situation with African swine fever in China and other countries in that part of the world? Uh, where are they with trying to get it under control? We continue to hear that China has ongoing ASF outbreaks. What we're hearing from the government may be a little different than what we're hearing from people who actually work in China. And then we've seen it spread throughout Southeast Asia. So Vietnam has been very transparent and, and talked about the spread of ASF throughout the entire country of Vietnam, and then it spread to some of the other countries there in Southeast Asia and continues to have a slower spread but continues to kind of march through the Baltic countries and Eastern Europe as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov drugdisposal drug disposal. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it's opening day for Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska. It is also opening day for the Big Iron Farm Show in West Fargo, North Dakota. Joining us now is Rusty Halverson, Farm Director for the American Ag Network. Rusty, how's the weather for opening day of the show? Oh, Mike, it's good to talk to you. I tell you what, it is muddy. We got about 1.2 inches of rain yesterday in the in the Fargo region, and uh yeah, it's, it's muddy, but uh, I tell you what, the crowd's awesome because nobody's out in the field doing anything today. So, yeah, that's <laughs> where we're at. <laughs> well, I know you've also had some cool weather. Yeah, we have. You know, um, things are running behind for maturity. Uh, everybody kind of knows that story. But with this rain, we've got really good soil moisture for uh, our filling beans and our, our filling corn. But it, uh, it really stalls out the guys that we're working on the harvest for, like, a a barley, canola, flax, uh, things are behind, obviously, just because of the situation that we've had this growing season. But this little shot of rain uh, really slows things down once again because, like I said, it's it's pretty doggone money and uh, muddy, I should say, and we can't move that big equipment around in the fields at the moment, so everybody's here at the show. Really good show. Well, tell us, for those who have not been to the Big Iron Farm Show, tell us a little bit about it. Well, I tell you what, Mike, it's, uh, you know, you and I were in uh, Decatur not too long ago for the Farm Progress Show, and I'm sure a lot of your audience is familiar with that. Big show. That was the first time I had been there. Big Iron is a similar show. You're going to see uh, pretty much whatever you would see at Farm Progress or, say, Dakota Fest in Mitchell or Minnesota Farm Fest. You'll see the same stuff. But it's held at the, the Red River Valley Fairgrounds, which is a pretty big venue. We've got a racetrack here and all that sort of thing. So it's a big show, but it's not a farm progress show, and it's certainly not the uh, the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, which I've heard is big. I have to go there someday, but uh, it's a good show. It's a really good show for the area, Mike. Well, each of these shows has their own uh, unique style and uh, and focus. What would you say is the yep. focus of the Big Iron Show? Well, it's it's all about the iron. Uh, uh, honestly, it's it's a lot of equipment. Uh, spread out on the fairgrounds uh everybody's of course showcasing their new wares and there's also a lot of permanent buildings on the site where uh i'm i'm speaking from the exhibition hall today and lots of vendors inside i think uh they usually have you know five to six hundred vendors they talk about a crowd you know the good years we could pass some something like fifty sixty thousand people through the gates over the course of the three days of the show and uh, that kind of varies uh, because, like I said, a lot of guys are trying to harvest now. So if they can make it over, at, you know, for half a day, they will, something like that. But it's a good three-day show. It's also, as we've talked about with the other farm shows, will be interesting to see uh, the mood of farmers. And uh, with the down economy and the challenges that they're facing this year, uh, does that change their uh, mindset about even coming to the show or or? how they approach the show. It'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, yeah. And and, and some of the shows we've been to, like Dakota Fest I mentioned, uh, it seemed like there was good attendance and good attendance for this first day here. The mood at the show, um, everybody's 
still cautiously optimistic. You know, um, nobody's too down from the folks that I've been talking to, but uh, we've got so many, you know, so many balls up in the air that we're juggling right now, Mike, when it comes to the farm economy, when it comes to trade and everything that we hope to get accomplished, and we just don't know if it will get accomplished. Then we're looking under crops that are running behind. We need some good, friendly weather for at least, you know, a few more weeks to get a lot of this crop to maturity. And North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, we're running behind. But there's no damaging cold from what I've seen in the forecast and from what uh, your visit with uh, DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson yesterday. There's nothing uh, really scary for the next 10 days, so we've got that for So if it dries out, are there field demos as part of this show or not? <laughs> well, there would be. <laughs> there yeah. would be. But judging from the parking lot, there's not going to be a lot of stuff moving around today. We were cloudy and drizzly today after all that heavy rain yesterday. Now the sun's peeking out, so it should dry out, and I would hope that they would be able to do something tomorrow and uh, and Thursday, too. But for today, eh, not so much. Not so much. But lots of exhibits, and, and there are, I know there's a lot of uh... – information a lot of uh, uh different events there on the grounds during the show where uh, farmers can get a lot of good information yeah yeah they've got uh, issues forums uh things like that nature and they also have uh for the kids they have some kind of hands-on displays uh kind of getting uh young children here from the city and from around the surrounding area kind of more familiar with agriculture and, and that's a big part of the show too and and also the food vendors, Mike. I got to tell you, I got a hungry tummy right now, and I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to the food vendors. <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, so, <laughs> the Big Iron Show. How big an area does it draw from usually? Well, uh, they they draw actually international visitors come to this show, and some of the some of the interesting uh, equipment that's on display. One thing that I found last year that was popular was they had uh, hay balers that, and I'm not going to mention names or colors, but they had hay balers that they make in Europe that are really high quality. And a lot of the guys around here, especially the men, are kind of curious about those because, uh, you know, it was new, it was different, but they draw an international crowd. Uh, they bring in delegations, trade delegations from several other countries to this event. They've been very proud of that, and I think we're on our 39th year for this show. And it's it's uh, it's drawn big crowds in the past, and it looks to be a big one this year too. All right, Rusty, have a good three days there at the Big Iron Show in West Fargo, and thanks for being with us and uh, giving us an idea of what's going on there. We appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much for having us in Illinois, Mike. We appreciate it. You take care, Rusty Halverson. He's the farm director for the American Ag Network, uh, reporting from. The Big Iron Farm Show in West Fargo. Today's opening day for that three-day show. And as we mentioned, uh, today is also the opening day for the three-day Husker Harvest Day show in Grand Island, Nebraska. We started off the show talking about all the uh, farm groups in Washington, D.C. this week pushing for USMCA. We'll have more on that coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.